0: Welcome
1: to Talk Flagler, your look into local personalities, businesses, and everything west of the beach waves. I'm your host, Joey Santos-Jones, and on this episode, we're talking to mayoral candidate for the city of Palm Coast, Michael Shoddy. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: So, Michael, you're running for mayor of Palm Coast.
0: Yeah, I have a long history in this community, uh, not as long as some, but certainly longer than others. That's that's pretty much the story of most of us who live here, um, especially the young people. And in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different positions, I've done my best to change this community for the better. I attempted for a short time to change the community from within city government And that did not work out well. Um, And some structural things we'll probably talk about later in the episode. Um, I left the city government, and after a brief hiatus, uh, decided to jump back in and run for mayor.
1: So we'll really jump into uh, the details about the campaign that you're running. Um, But you're you're family man. uh, You're a small business owner in Flagler. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So. A lot of people listening to this podcast probably know Kai and Lisa Akinji from Office Divi. I worked for them for a short time. Um, When I first left college, I became a sports journalist and then a travel journalist. I covered the NFL for about a decade. Um, That was a uh, high-paced, crazy atmosphere. And then I went to travel, which was much more laid back. They paid me to do things like go to Disney and take my family along. Um, But when push came to shove after a decade plus of doing that... I wanted to actually work in the place where I lived. And so even though I'd lived in Palm Coast almost that entire time, I transitioned to working in Palm Coast. And one of the first places I found that was an amazing fit was Office Dibby. And I really connected with them on both a professional, but also like a spiritual uh, mental connection level. Um, And I loved their mission of empowering entrepreneurs. And after I did that for a short time, um, I realized that it – I wanted to empower myself as an entrepreneur. So I became an entrepreneur myself, started Nova Digital Marketing Consulting. My first big client was helping start Mad Dogs Flag Football at Palm Coast. uh, That's awesome. We serve about 1,000 kids a a year um, with a great flag football experience, um, crafting both their bodies and their minds. So that's what I do. I help small businesses succeed. I do a lot of consulting work. Um, A lot of the stuff I do ends up being pro bono just because I hate charging people for stuff that comes easy um, and that they can do themselves. Um, But I really just love making connections. And I love watching a small business owner in Palm Coast when so so many of the odds are stacked against them uh, start to see success as a light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Well, let's let's talk about that then. Your your campaign is powered by uh, promises of leadership. Uh, I believe your messaging is leadership is built on trust. Uh, and, you know, working with citizens directly in Palm Coast, do you feel leadership is currently lacking in any areas?
0: Yeah, I, I, I would have to. if If I'm running to be the mayor of Palm Coast, I have to be doing that for a reason. So I don't want to, you know, engage in typical political speak and just be syrupy, saccharin positive about what's going on. I think the people that work at the city of Palm Coast, by and large, um, not to a man because, you know, every area has, you know, positives and negatives. But I think generally speaking, the city of Palm Coast has some of the most amazing employees and public servants because it would be easy to do what they do and jump ship to Volusia or jump ship to St. John's County, which are doing bigger things, more opportunity for promotion, things like that. If you're staying in Palm Coast, it's because you love Palm Coast. And I think a lot of the people that work at the city of Palm Coast absolutely love this city. That being said, I think there are issues at the top uh, with leadership that need to be corrected. And some of that was corrected in the last cycle, but not all of it. Uh, Things have gotten worse over the last three years. And that's a palpable feeling as I talk to citizens of Palm Coast that things have not gotten better. And we don't need four more years of the same.
1: Uh, As a resident of Palm Coast, I can attest to uh, having uh, a wife and two daughters and raising them here. There is there's something great about living in Palm Coast, Um, but there's also the feeling of hoping Palm Coast creates an opportunity uh, for future generations and stuff. Is that something you're looking into?
0: Yeah, Uh, generally speaking, the vast majority of Palm Coast is still a retirement community. And I was just having this conversation yesterday with another a group of guys who do youth sports. And what's crazy is when we look at our numbers, there are clearly more young people, clearly more families than there used to be. That's a true statement. Um, and, and with those young families, you need th- those things, like you're talking about, the opportunity. You also need things for them to do because, you know, the old adage is idle hands are the devil's playwork. You, you don't want um, a bunch of kids running around without anything to do. Even Even Sheriff Staley has said that. So, However, in that same time frame, there's actually been more retirees moving into Palm Coast. So even as we've gotten a much younger uh, subset of the community that's bigger, more vibrant, uh, needs more help and more things to do, we've also become more lopsided towards an older demographic. And where that hurts from a political sense is young people don't vote young people don't engage the process. I'm a member of the board of the young professionals group. And when I worked with the city, I actively engaged um, those board members and those members to come interact with the city on different businesses. And it was like pulling teeth. And, and I apologize to the many people who who stepped up and came, um, but it was few and far between. And, you know, community leaders like Gary Perkins, John Bernie, uh, Jeremy um, uh, Jacqueline Centafonte from The Observer, they do a fantastic job of engaging with the process. But again, they are the exception, not the rule. And so we need more young people engaging the process, because when a politician looks at things, they are always going to cater to the voters. And if the older subs of the community, which I love, which I want to do things for as well, but if they're the only ones voting, they get a undue amount of attention and undue amount of support and so I'm not running as like the young candidate for young candidates I want to serve this entire city but I do think there's that group out there that wants to see what Palm coast can be 20 30 years from now that feels like their voice isn't being heard
1: well when you look at those young voters um, do you think there's still a feeling of maybe my vote doesn't matter uh, the same people are going to get elected every single cycle um how do, how do you make things meaningful to them how do you make them vote for their own future if a lot of them were planning on staying in Palm Coast?
0: Yeah, one of the things that I always think is necessary when you talk about topics like this is look at the historical trends. And I think just generally speaking, younger people have never really voted. Um, There are systemic, systematic things that make voting not as easy as it should be. Um, And some of that's changing around the country. But, you know, I barely find time to balance my checkbook or barely find time to make sure that my subscription to Hulu that I haven't watched in six months gets canceled. That, is something <laughs> that, that young people just dislike doing not because um, they're bad at it, but because it's something and they're busy with other things. They're busy raising kids. They're busy um, working on their marriage. They're busy working on their jobs. There are stresses that happen when you're in this formative stage of life that I think when you're retired, you don't have anymore. And so you spend a little bit more time engaging with the process. You have time to go to city council meetings. You have time to read about things that affect you um, and engage with that process. And that's just something that throughout history, for the most part, young people have not engaged with that process as effectively. That's why, you know, the generation above us was told to vote. The generation above them was told to vote. And We always look back and say, I wish I had engaged with this process sooner. Maybe I could have made more changes in my community if I had started that process um, 20, 30 years ago. But for me, I was volunteering for campaigns when I was 17. I voted the first time I could when I was 18. So I've always been engaged with that process. And I've always been one to encourage, um, because you can't browbeat people into voting, but encourage the people around me that your voice deserves to be heard. It's not that one voice is more important than the other. And I hate when it seems like that, when it's, it's pitting young people versus old people or, or one color versus the other color or men versus women. That's not the point. It's that every section of the community should have a voice. And if you're not going to engage with the process at some point, you almost at that point give up your right to have that voice if you don't want to make that voice be heard.
1: So we, we talk about young voters and uh I, I can attest my grandfather he still votes at every single election, he votes for every single issue. He he feels it, he internalizes it. Uh do you think perhaps it's it's a communication issue with sometimes with young voters is that they don't necessarily know the issues that they would be voting on, or see the meaningful uh way that local voting really does matter in long-term effects?
0: That's fair. Uh, and and I, I don't think that's just a young voter thing either. I think You know, I can't remember who said it, but, you know, someone said all politics is local. Um, I agree with that. The things that actually affect you, your tax rate, your um, city codes, your basic way the city does business, those are all things that happen on the local level. And those are the things that people tend not to vote for or whether they're voting straight party ticket or just sort of going willy-nilly as they go down the ballot, um, you tend to understand the top of the ticket more because those are the people on CNN, they're the people on your favorite websites that you're looking at, they're the people on, you know, whatever social media is being shared around. It's very easy to sort of form an opinion about, you know, for this election, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, but less so about council members or the mayor in a nonpartisan race, less so about... You know, even last time around, we talked about uh, legalizing marijuana, restoring felons the right to vote, dog racing in uh, Daytona Beach. All of those things were on the ballot and actually had a massive impact on what goes on in this area. And you're right. it, It was much easier for them to know the top of the ballot and a lot less easy to know the bottom of the ballot. And again, I think it's just a time thing. I think it's a. The amount of time, energy, and effort it takes to know all of that stuff, to know who my judge candidates are, um, that's darn near impossible. And is it a communications issue? Sure, but I also think it's just a it's a matter of priorities. Um, you know, I've got two young boys, I've got a wife. It is very difficult for me to find the energy or the time to uh, really dissect the differences between two judge candidates in my area uh, versus going to play catch with my kids.
1: I get that. I do. Um, you know, we, we talked about your time and, and how long you've, you've been in our community. Um, you were previously the head of Palm Coast communication division, uh, and you left that position after six months being reflective and looking back, uh, was it a difference in vision? Was there anything that could have changed that would have got you to stay in that position?
0: Yeah. I mean, to be entirely frank, uh, I was not comfortable with what I was being asked to do from an ethical perspective, from a legal perspective. I tell people, and it's an absolutely true statement, that when I moved into my office, uh, the very first thing I did was I asked for a second whiteboard because that's how I process things. So I had two whiteboards on my walls, and I the
1: dueling whiteboards.
0: Uh, yep, yeah, and, and I wrote in the top corner one of them that "sunshine uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant," and that's a quote from Judge Louis Brandeis. It's one that means a lot to me. It's one of the bases for what we call the Florida Sunshine Law, um, that protects the people from a you know, the sort of backroom deals that happen in government all over the place. Um, And I truly believe that. I was a journalist for a lot of years. I sat on boards and panels that talked about the First Amendment and talked about ethics in communication. And I took the job with the auspices that we would be opening in the or we would be operating in the Florida sunshine. And that's just not the case in the Palm coast city government. The amount of backroom deals, the amount of things that are hidden or things that are uh, completely finished. And then you're trying to convince the uh, people rather than working with the people to figure out solutions. It was just too much. And um, there are things that I hope come to light in the next few weeks and months about some of the things that are going on in the city of Palm coast that I can't get into, but It was very clear about four months in that it was not going to work out. And I did my best to to grin, bear it and swallow hard every time I walked into City Hall each and every day. But um, when someone in power asked me at City Hall, what could you know, why does stuff like this keep happening? Why doesn't it change? I flipped it around and said, because you're still asking the question, you're one of the few people in this world who could do anything about it, and you're asking the question. And I ended up resigning the very next day because I did not want to continue to be part of the problem. I wanted to continue to be part of the solution.
1: So so we're talking kind of a transparency with our government, a transparency with the residents, um, and you touched on the Florida Sunshine Law. How do we fully make that
0: work for us? Yeah, it, it starts with being open and honest about what our priorities are and being an open and honest with the way that not only so many people are focused when they run for office. it's one of the things I said in my Facebook live. uh, It's last night as we're recording this, but it'll be a couple weeks ago to the people hearing this. Um, I said that people are really worried about a a balanced budget. You know, they say, you don't raise my taxes and make sure there's no uh, foolish spending well, duh, that we all want that you know I'm, maybe one politician who's ever said, "I would love to raise your taxes and you know spend your money foolishly that's we all want that we all want a good balanced budget and wise spending. The problem is at the city level, there are still lots of loopholes, and we have a city leadership that is very good at exploiting those loopholes where money might be budgeted wisely or budgeted fairly, but then is spent in different ways and so until those things start coming out into the sunshine and until those things start being, um, you know, not just publicized, because it, it has to be cleaned up. And I think that's where, again, I go back to that. There's backroom deals that uh, I can get into all sorts of the, the legalese of running a, a local government. But. We only have one person at City Hall in charge of procurement right now, making sure that money is spent wisely. And there are probably a dozen who are (laughs) actively making sure it's spent unwisely. So those are the sort of things that we need to clean up.
1: Infrastructure. Where do you think we should be spending money right now in Palm Coast and Flagler County?
0: Yeah, a couple of the big places are right now our city does not have anyone doing economic development at all. Uh, we used to have two positions that were created specifically for the purpose of economic development. And traditional economic development is a farce. I, I just got to got to be blunt and say it, that the sort of economic development techniques of the 1970s and 1980s are still being used around the country today, and they are not working. Um, the idea that there is a city that tried to lure Amazon, and we're going to be honest, had no chance of ever luring Amazon, but still promised millions and dollars of tax incentives and we're going to like section off part of their city and call it like prime uh you know rename it as a city just for amazon like how is that cool how you, you're changing the character of your city you're ensuring not only are there tax breaks and land swap deals involved but you're never going to get a dollar of that tax revenue because you're sectioning off part of your city for them um, what what does that benefit other than having a lot of lower paid jobs. Um, Maybe some higher paid, but a lot of lower paid jobs. And that's traditional economic development. It's like big game hunting. Um, It's cool, I guess. I don't necessarily find it cool to have the picture of you holding up your your big game. Um, But that's not the way that even hunters feed their family. Um, Hunters know you have to A, forage and maybe do some gardening and get some staples in effect first. And then you also have to hunt small game and you have to have a diversity in, in what you're in. You can't just bag that one big buck every season and call it a day if that's how you're going to try to feed your family. So economic development is the same way. You can go for the big flashy target, the big company that's going to bring in 50, 100, 200 jobs at, you know, $80,000 a piece. Awesome. Do that. But you can't stop there. And right now at our county level, The the sort of big game hunting and economic development is what happens. And then the city level, it's nothing. So that's where I want to start spending money. I want to fund those positions. And then I want to continue to do things as a city that encourage not just businesses to move in, which is awesome, but also to support the lifeblood of our economy, which is the small businesses and the entrepreneurs that are already here. And so you mentioned Fiber. Three years ago, candidates ran on the fact that fiber needed to be a priority for the city and to back up just a little bit we have had a municipal fiber net program in the city for a long time and the city started that for one reason and one reason only cuz they knew it would save them on their cable bills and it did and so it's already a revenue neutral program because the city having its own internet service is cheaper than the city having to go to AT&T spectrum whoever so it's already revenue neutral but now it's also an enterprise fund which can give low cost high-speed internet to other people, much cheaper and much faster than a private company. Generally speaking, it's never good for the uh, government to get into any place where the private uh, industry can do something. That's just a general maxim that I agree with. That being said, when private businesses have monopolies and when private businesses are essentially immune from being broken up by the federal government as these cable monopolies are the only disruptor available is for a city like palm coast which already has its fiber network to come in and say we can run cable all the way down palm coast parkway which palm coast does we can provide gig symmetrical high-speed internet services at cheaper than your you know current internet prices already are and if the city does that You're going to create instances where you have cooperative internet agreements where you make like office buildings and ISP and you can drive costs even lower. You're going to have HOAs around the uh, city where there's already one being built right now that has fiber as one of its selling points because they ran lit fiber into the community. Um, That's going to drive down prices in that community even more um, because, and the reason this is so cool is it takes, the city doesn't have a CEO. The city has a, (laughs) you know, public servant, who's not making a whole lot of money running this thing, not someone making, you know, millions of dollars a year with a golden parachute. And the shareholders for things like this are the citizens. That's why the, it's why something like this works. And so that becomes an economic driver to our community. And we have some people in place, we have some gear in place. Right now, the city's fiber net program would work for you if you want to run your small business as you know, an aspiring entrepreneur, but if you need to start sending like a, a architectural drawings, you need to start sending like radiology, uh, images. Um, it doesn't work cause it's not fast enough. So if a city can get to a place where the fiber is quality enough to sell to businesses, small and large alike, and it gets to the point where it can run that last mile of lit cable to homes and to businesses all over the County, um, this is going to be a huge economic driver because the cities that are using this are bringing big tech companies in, um, and that only not only creates jobs, but it also drives revenue, and it makes the city a place where innovation happens.
1: Segmenting to something very personal to a lot of residents is mental health. In 2018, Flago was number one in the state in suicide rate. In 2019, we dropped to ninth, which sounds great on paper, but the true story is the difference in number of suicide was two fewer there's an issue here in Flagler. So I ask, how do you start to support the residents in Flagler County? And what's the messaging that you would deliver to them?
0: Yeah, this is a personal topic for me. You know, I grew up with an older brother who had a lot of issues when he was very, 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 very young. My parents adopted him at that time, um, basically, because a local judge had begged people in his network to adopt this this young boy. And so my older brother came in and had all sorts of mental issues, both from a disability standpoint and from a mental health standpoint because of the trauma that he went through. And I saw this growing up. And then I went off to college in Minnesota and worked with adults and children with mental disabilities, uh, you know, mentoring them, uh, working in group homes, doing things like that. And so I've worked up close with this community and the communities that I saw in Michigan, the communities that I saw in Minnesota had very robust community mental health systems where you had numerous companies doing the work, you had numerous uh, government agencies helping fund the work, and you had people in the community that just understood the plight of what was going on, not just for you know the people who are institutionalized in a group home setting, but also just for throughout the community that... it mental disabilities or mental health is not a, a thing that should be stigmatized. It's just a way of life for some people. And, you know, we don't get angry at or upset at people who are different um, in other avenues. We don't get angry or upset at people who are sick in other avenues. And so we do this with mental health because people tend not to understand it. And I think Florida, A, because there's just a lack of resources. We don't pay state taxes, and that's why a lot of people move here. Um, but th- that lack of state taxes means that there's less money to go around for things like mental health at the community level. Um, Flagler is actually hurt doubly by that because the state of Florida uses a funding model from 1982 to decide how health department funding gets appropriated to the various counties. If you were around Flagler in 1982, as most people in Palm Coast weren't, uh, you would understand that it was banal. It was a couple stoplights and people driving to the beach. It was not a robust community like it is today. And estimates that I've found have seen, uh, you know, seven hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand dollars worth of funding that would come to flag their County simply if that changed at the statewide level. And I think we as city leaders, as, as county leaders, need to be actively working to make sure that our county gets the resources that it needs to protect the people in this community. Um, the idea that we would be using our statewide lobbying firm or our time and effort to do anything else when it's such a, a pandemic, such an issue here, is to me scary. And it comes from a a lack of focus, a lack of priorities, and a lot of what I call not being able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Our government can do hard things. That's something I've said in my campaign a lot, but it also can do more than one thing at one time. And we've got council members who are passionate about mental health, but their passion dies in a vacuum because no one else is willing to step up and say, yeah, let's continue to be passionate about mental health. Let's continue to be passionate about homelessness in this area. Um, but it's one or two council members mentioning it once in a while and the city doesn't actually do anything about it because they're so focused on such a very small set of priorities. So that's, that's where I start with mental health. Um, working with local leaders, making sure that we get that funding and barring that, let's start coming up with new and inventive ways because I was the point person when I was with the city going to all the mental health meetings, going to all the community health meetings and I was told time and time again to go sit quietly but not ever offer to do anything because I was told point blank that the city was not going to do anything about mental health.
1: So, so what are the voters telling you right now? Obviously they're, they're talking about mental health as I was, uh, obviously they're talking about infrastructure and, uh, and that's kind of spending. We talked on it. What else are they telling you right now that they see a clear need for in Palm coast?
0: I think people just don't trust their government. Um, you know, I was the person who ran social media when I was at the city of Palm Coast. I still see in you know comment sections on local news sources and on the city itself, um, which has a nasty habit of hiding comments a lot. Um, I see that people don't trust their government, and some of that is natural in an area like Palm Coast, where so many people are used to governments from where they're from. You know, I still look at you know the local governments at in Michigan or in Minnesota as you know my home in some sort you know i'm here i'm staying here but i probably know or at least before this year i knew more about my elected officials at my former places because i had ownership in those places i was born in a certain place i you know went to school in a certain place i still care about those places and for someone who you know retired here after 40 50 60 years of living in the upper northeast um it's easy to come down here and say you know, the government is just this shadowy building in town center that makes decisions that don't really affect me. And when it does affect me, I'm going to get mad at them because I don't, um, you know, I don't know who these people are. They haven't taken the time to come shake my hand, they haven't taken the time to come listen to me. And that's really what I want to change because that's something I've heard from a lot of people. Again, you know, just yesterday I had a couple conversations that people could not believe that some of these things were happening because they didn't even conceive of. A city having this much influence. Uh, But every four years the politicians walk around and and try to get your votes and then they disappear. And that's one of the scary things about local politics, is that by and large, you don't have to hold anyone accountable because a very small amount of money from a very small amount of people can push the needle in, in such a direction that someone like me who's Running a grassroots campaign, who's trying to get a lot of people to hear my name for the first time, let alone trust me for the first time. Um, I'm hearing that people don't want to trust their government, even if it's even if it's me in charge, even if it's someone you know their next door neighbor that they can you know trust to babysit their kids. The second that person gets in government, they feel a need to distrust them, and I want to work every day once I'm elected to change that. To be visible in this community day in day out. 24 365, I want to speak directly with citizens, not, and this is where uh, there's this nasty little tendency to talk about government as if it should run more like a business. And there are many ways that it should. Again, fiscal responsibility, um, you know, quote unquote, the customer always being right. There, there are ways to look at that positively, but the citizen is not the end user of a government service. The citizen is the director of a government service. The citizen is in charge. The citizen is the shareholder. So if you're going to run it like a business, run it like a publicly held business where every single voter, whether they voted for you or not, or they live in the community and they're not voting, that is your shareholders. That is your boss. And that's not the way our government operates. And so I need, when I am elected, to every day be in the community shaking hands, kissing babies, doing that, but also talking to people about my ideas, talking to people about their ideas, because if things come to a city council meeting and no one has ever heard about them before and the city council votes five nothing on something the city will be outraged about, the city has a need, a moral imperative to be outraged. And we've had too many of those issues over the last couple of years in city government.
1: So you're looking at the August primary and you're hoping for a runoff to November. How does a pandemic like COVID-19 alter the traditional knocking on doors Uh, shaking hands, uh, the kissing babies uh, spiel. Are you looking at a pure digital strategy when it comes to your campaign?
0: So in August, when any candidate who's on the ballot gets to go in in this open primary, and if anyone gets 50% plus one, if anyone gets a majority, they are the mayor of Palm Coast. And that's what happened last time around with Melissa Holland getting like 64 65% of the vote. In August, so um, that's actually my target. I plan to be the mayor of Palm Coast in August. Um, so it's a short amount of time. I got in the race late. Some of my opponents have been in since uh, November, December. And it part of the reason I wanted to get in was because I knew that I could do the digital strategy well. Um, it's it's the life that I've lived. I've I've always been on social media. I've always helped people with their social media. I understand that I'm probably not going to raise the amount of money as some other candidates who are going to be well funded from some old flag, their old Palm Coast money uh, that's going to line up behind, you know, the candidate they choose um, for better, or for worse. And so I need to use my money more wisely. And digitally is a way to do that. So uh, we know that the demographics of Facebook are getting older. We know the demog- uh, demographics of other social media are getting um, broader. And so I can use my digital spend to. You know, remove some of the obstacles that a candidate like me would have in a normal election because of coronavirus. Um, because it's an, e- it's an even playing field. No one's going out and, and kissing babies right now. No one's going door to door and knocking on those doors. Um, and if they are, shame on them because the government has said we shouldn't be doing that right now. So the digital strategy is one thing, but the other thing is just um, a real grassroots movement of talking to people. And again, I think that's a weird thing that people aren't used to, but I set up a Calendly account and I'm just taking calls from random people that I did not know before they introduced themselves to me on my, on my Facebook page and talk to them about issues. And I'm doing things like the Facebook live we've mentioned a couple of times. And I'm going to do a bunch more of those, where I Just sit down and talk with issues. And I get thousands of people watching those live and then many more watching those after the fact. And so
1: those are Mondays at six.
0: Uh, Monday's at 6, and I'll probably be doing much more of those as as the campaign goes on, maybe at different times, just to see what works um, from a timing standpoint. Um, Doing things like this. Uh, Earned media is a big piece of the puzzle when it comes to Uh, campaigning as well. And there are candidates in the race, and I'm not necessarily saying this as an aspersion to them, but there are candidates who got in this race and no one knew about them. Like you have to go to the flag their Elections website to even see that they're running. So when you have a couple hundred followers on Facebook, the media doesn't seem to care, the citizens don't seem to care that you're running, that's a tough race to run. And when I got in the race, all of the local media covered it. Um, I was on WNCF, I was in the Observer, I was in the Daytona Beach News Journal. Um, People perked up because I'm a known commodity, at least because I've worked for government, I've been in the business community for a long time. And I think that helps me in a race like this, because it really comes down to um, name recognition versus likability. And again, I'm not trying to um, be overly negative about any of my opponents, but I may not have the name recognition of the incumbent, but I am far more liked than the incumbent. And that's just a, a data point that we all know is true. So um, I'm trying to get more people to know my name, to see my stuff. And at that point, um, they get to make their decision whether or not they like me or not. And I certainly hope they do. I would love to talk to them about maybe the p- points of my platform where we disagree on shoddy2020.com slash platform. Um, but generally speaking, I'm looking to be an open, honest, transparent, and ethical leader for this community. And I don't think all of my opponents can say the same.
1: Kind of changing course here. Uh... You were a writer for a long time. Uh, You're obviously a sports fan like I. Uh, We previously have talked about it. And you've written uh, for publications like Forbes, Bleacher Report, FanDuel, The Sporting News, uh, and The Outside Game. Uh, You've analyzed competitive events for a year. I believe you did the NFL draft analyzation for years, and that's about 3,000 rounds that goes over the course of uh, 135 days. Um, When you're looking at this mayoral race, how does how does this race compare to say sports? Do you look at it in the same kind of competitive way?
0: That's a that's a first time question. You know, good question. Um I I fall into the trap of looking at things in terms of right and wrong too many times. I feel like I'm a man of integrity, I feel like I'm a man of character. Not hundred percent, none of us are perfect, but I think like all of us, I tend to look at myself as the good guy. And I think sports is generally the same way. The team that you support is the good guy. The teams that they're playing against is the bad guy. And especially your hated rivals. You know, I'm a Michigan fan. Ohio State is the bad guy. Um, I'm a, you know, Detroit Red Wings fan growing up. The Colorado Avalanche were the bad guy. So it's easy to look at politics that way and much harder to sort of say – just generally speaking, we're all working really hard for what we think is right. And unless someone is actually doing things that are unethical or are illegal or all are non-transparent, um, it's hard to look at things or it's it's important not to look at things like the other side is the bad guy, um, that they just have different ideas, different views. That being said, in this specific race, um, I fall into the trap you know, time and time again because I know that there are... Bad things going on. There are unethical things. There are what I believe to be illegal things going on um, at City Hall, and I want to feel like this this moral imperative is just going to usher me in because it's the right thing. But it's also, you know, if we want to use the draft as the metaphor, um, I am the seventh rounder out of the school you've never heard of, and I'm just trying to make it um i'm not here because i'm the biggest the strongest the fastest or you know ran the best 40 time whatever it is um i'm here because i'm working really hard and i know what's right and again i wish that i could say the same about all of my opponents um there are certainly um some of the other challengers that i've spoken with and i respect a ton and they're in the same boat that i am but when you're choosing um, because that's what this is. Just like the NFL draft, it's a choice. It's easy to pick the person that is, you know, the easy, the easy, the easy choice. Um, but sometimes the gems, the later round picks uh, end up doing the best. And I think at the end of the day, um, I hope when I get to the end of this race, even though I wasn't the one everybody thought was going to win when I got in the race, I hope that I am the winner. And then I hope I'm the one who is going to lead this city for the better
1: you you've got a, a solid story uh that you've been telling you you told it over the course of uh the show um and i I thought we'd we'd try to finalize this show with just the question that always gets asked of every single politician um what's your day one agenda what happens on day one
0: yeah day one. Um, I would love to say that I'm going to come in and just sweepingly clean City Hall, um, but that's not how the city of Palm Coast mayor works. And I've been challenged on this a couple of times by people who you know, have read the city charter and know what's up, and I-, I thank them for doing so. The mayor of Palm Coast is not supposed to have a lot of power. And if at some point the city of Palm Coast wants to change that, more power to him, but that's not my mission. Instead, what I would like to do is make sure that the city is actually running the way it's supposed to run. And that means that the mayor is one of five votes. No extra power, no extra influence, no extra day-to-day operations, other than being the person to cut ribbons, make the speeches, and appear at public events. The mayor is just a council member like everyone else. And so what I want to do on day one is empower the four other council members, whoever they may be, that they should have their own agendas, their own visions, and there should be robust discussion for um, the things that they think are important. And I think if if that's all I do, if that is all I do as mayor, return the power back in the hands of the citizens through their representatives, I will have done a good job. Because right now we have a very small collection of people through the mayor running a very small vision. And that's where I say you have to walk and chew gum at the same time. If you had a city that was being run by the five people who are supposed to run it with actually the city manager as an independent employee who day-to-day has more power than the city council, our city would be running more efficiently. But instead, what we have is a city manager who is not independent, um, you know, just Having been in City Hall, he talks to the mayor way too frequently, way too often, not just to get advice, but to basically take direction and give that direction to city employees outside of what the city charter says he should be doing. Um, We have city council members who know that there are issues at City Hall and refuse to stand up. And we have city staff who are being directed directly by the mayor. And that's that's against the law, just being frank. So my day one is to return the power the way it's supposed to go. And simply by you know, saying, I'm not supposed to be doing all of this stuff. And there are other things that I really hope on day one, some of my council members agree with me on, like finding some of these unethical things, rooting them out and making sure that they don't happen again, putting together ethics training for the city of Palm Coast that actually does something that that, that keeps these things from happening again. And then from there, just moving into my platform, strengthening community safety, strengthening community uh, mental and public health, um, putting together a business Forward government that yes doesn't waste money yes keeps taxes low but more importantly builds an entrepreneurial ecosystem that I've been a part of my entire adult life and want to make sure exists in the city of Palm Coast. Those are all things that I hope my council uh, jumps on board with me on. But maybe they won't, and that's going to change what happens at the citywide level. And it should. That's the way that our government should work. And that's the crazy part of the last three years that not only has our city gotten worse. Not only has our city become uh, less uh, able to handle the oncoming recession. Not only has our city become, you know, more riddled with backroom deals. It's done in such a way that was supposedly more efficient, <laughs> putting the hands in the power of one person at a very strong voting block. Um, it was supposed to be more efficient. It was supposed to get things done, and instead, it made everything worse.
1: I want to thank you again for being on the show. Anything you want to plug before we sign off?
0: No, I think just. You know, go to shoddy2020.com, go to my platform page, go to my Meet Mike page, just to get to know me as a candidate. Um, Go to facebook.com slash shoddy2020. I want people to disagree with me. I want people to have robust discussions about the policies that I'm putting forward. And there are plenty of people who've come on my page and been negative, um, but I've yet to see someone be overly negative about my ideas and... That's what I'm looking for, because if I've got an idea that this community doesn't want, if I've got a piece of my platform that I intend to accomplish that is something this community doesn't want, I need to know that. Because if the community is actively voting against me because they don't want more sidewalks or they don't, they don't want more streetlights, then that's what the community wants and I'll change my platform. But I have a sneaking suspicion that if someone reads my platform and then once I'm elected holds me to it, uh, our city will be a better place for it.
1: Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Joey. And for us, you can find us on askflagler.com, launching June 29th, your newer news website for Flagler County. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Hit that forward slash askflagler. And if you'd like to be on the podcast, reach out to our email podcast at askflagler.com. It doesn't matter how big you are how small you are. We want to hear your story. For the askflagler.com team, the Talk Flagler podcast, and our guest, Michael Shoddy, I'm Joey Santos-Jones. Thanks for listening.